Welcome everyone to the gaming couch. Be it video games, card games, or board games, we'll have a good time playing. So come and join me on the couch. This is your host, Smart Boy. Uh, hello everybody. So remember last week how I mentioned it was really hot out and disgusting? Well, today we got a massive downpour in downtown Brooklyn that I was not expecting, so here I am coming home soaking wet. Welcome to the summertime in New York. You never know what you're going to get. So, last week, like I mentioned, the ending we talked about characters and how they kind of like impact our feelings, stuff like that, on the game. But we never really got into the story, like the main meat of the game. And so this week, looking at that, it's important. Because when you're playing a game, yes, the characters are great. What the player can do is great. The mechanics help out if they're well-made. The world, obviously, is really important. However, the one thing that kind of ties everything together is the story. It becomes the main driving force behind the game. And of course, there are some games out there like racing games, you can argue it doesn't need much of a story, but sometimes in those games, you find some sort of like campaign hidden within there. It gives you something to do outside of just racing. Now, with that, stories don't have to be complex. It can just simply provide like an end goal to whatever the player is doing. I mean, you look at the Mario franchise, one of the longest running series out there, and at least the base games like the main platforming games of mario is very simple go save the princess that's all the story is bowser kidnaps peach once again or bowser jr whoever it is at that point and you just gotta go free them free her like it's a very simple story but it still works now some other stories look a little deeper like whether to teach us a lesson or for us to learn something or feel something or whatever like that and they can go about different ways like it can be ham-fisted down your throat and really be like drive home the point like this is what we want to tell you Others are a little more subtle, or they let it kind of develop throughout the game. It changes based on the series that you're looking at. And so standalone games have one advantage for a series in the sense that it opens with a story, it tells you about it, and then it closes at the end. Because it's not looking to develop that single story over time, they don't have to worry about any cliffhanger or something like that. They just got to wrap up everything that's happened in the game and neat little bow and be done with it, which is great. And then series still have an advantage in the sense of looking at that grand epic tale they're looking to tell. Because it happens over time, it's massive, and they can do so much with it. It can adapt, things like that. And it's it's amazing because you get to learn more and more about like the characters or the main character that you're playing as or just the world that you're in. You know, Stuff like that is great. But there's still that challenge on top of it because it can always expand. We need to make sure that as the story after the series ends... It ends well. So I know normally like we're looking at a trio of games, just kind of discussing and exploring them and stuff like that. But I think talking about stories, especially in the episodic and, you know, the massive epics, it's better to just look at one single series. Because over a series, those games in a single series, like in a trilogy, will each game will have its own ending, but they vary based on what they're trying to do. And so I'm looking at a... I wouldn't say it's like the top, but it's still a, a pretty good series that I hold close to my heart, and that's the Mass Effect series. You know, I, I caught on to it. I started playing it when the first game came out, which I think many, if not almost all Mass Effect fans were that way. They played Mass Effect 1 and just kind of followed along with it, and that was me. I played the first one when it came out. I bought it, played it, Mass Effect 2. You know, I loved the first one, so I got into number two. Number two was all right, and then when they heard about the third one, I'm like, let me definitely get into the third one because I want to see how this story ends. The story that was set up in the first and second game, well, now the third game's ready to close it. I want to see what's going on with it. 
So we're just going to focus on that. The main trilogy, the start of it all, kind of like Shepard's story and the War with the Reapers, and we're not going to look at anything beyond that because everything else is kind of like added on or it focuses on different parts outside of just Shepard. So obviously for those of you who may have never played, major spoilers, heads up, yada, 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 you know, go ahead at your own risk. You know the drill. So with Mass Effect 3, it's story can be kind of simplified but it's also complex at the same time so the original trilogy had that simple story of you're the space hero versus the giant evil space machines it sounds silly but it's really kind of what it boils down to in the end when you want to make it you know simple to explain to someone else so you're playing the space hero commander shepherd and you can be a you know boy or girl so it's his or her team of misfits mercenaries oddballs and other people that you recruit to fight to save the galaxy from this great evil force of machines called the reapers and these machines come down and look to destroy all life as we know it and now the lore says it's about every 50,000 years they call it a cycle every 50,000 years when these advanced civilizations grow too powerful it almost turns like self-destructive so the reapers come in to wipe everything from the galaxy and pretty much just start fresh you know as a basic concept and mass effect one opens up with that so what's great in the first game is first off just Gameplay-wise, it's easy to understand. Simple gunplay with a cover system, and then there's like a variety of classes you can pick and level up. So there's a little bit of like an RPG element thrown in there, which is really nice. And then, of course, the crew that you recruit, because these are like weird oddball people, mercenaries and stuff like that. They all have these really cool quirks and personalities that you get to talk to them and understand them better. And then when you're out on the field together with your squad, they banter with each other like in elevators and stuff like that. So it really kind of comes to life with the story in the world that, yes, I'm trying to save the galaxy and the people that are helping me are just random misfits like me with, you know, their own thoughts, their own feelings. It kind of helps make the story come to life and it makes them help drive it because they all have their own motivations. And as they talk to each other, those motivations show for why they're helping Shepard, you know, save the universe and stop the bad guy. And of course, the main bad guy, at least in the first one, is Saren, who is the rogue agent that teamed up with the Reapers and the Geth to kind of bring about the end of the galaxy. And simple concept, good guy versus bad guy, yes. It goes into a little more detail as time goes on, because the story and the game itself is like focusing on this idea of going throughout the galaxy. Because you're trying to save the galaxy and stop Saren, you're obviously exploring said galaxy. So the story sets it up with a couple different major plot points you have to look at that tell you more about the universe and tell you more about Saren and more about the Reapers and everything and, like, why you're trying to do this. And then there's also, like, you know, little side missions on the side that you can look over. So some of them will come from, like, the Alliance fleet, which is the main human fleet, and Admiral Hackett, who I will say right now is a fucking boss and he proves it throughout the series, you know, they'll give you missions to look up. Or when you're out exploring planets, you might find, like, artifacts or you know, facilities and stuff like that to scan that give you additional missions. And heck, even sometimes your uh, squad mates will come along and be like, hey, I got this thing I want to take care of. And as you do all these things, it, it helps build up the story. But they're optional. At least the side missions are. So you don't have to get bogged down with them. So it doesn't hinder the story. It just kind of helps expand everything and makes you feel a little more tied to like, yes, I am saving this galaxy for a reason. And yes, these people are real. And it, it helps motivate you to get through everything. Now, if you look into those side missions, again, being optional, but if you look into them, it kind of has an impact on the second and the third game. Minor impacts, but you still 
get some stuff out of it because you might run into some factions in the first game that then show up in the second and third game who also show a great interest in the Reapers. So that's kind of how the story develops over the three games. With this series, as I'm sure many of you know, it does pride itself on the difficult choices. So as the story arcs between these three games, stuff that you do in the first game could come back to haunt you or praise you in a later installment, you know, like Mass Effect 2 or Mass Effect 3. Maybe not major, maybe major, but you don't know until you actually go through it. And here is, like, it, it's, it's weird in the sense of looking just at the first game itself instead of the entire series, but I think it is a strong point. So one of the major missions that you have to go on in the first game involves you having to make two tough choices. So most of the tough choices in the first game is, will I let this squad mate die, or will I kill this person, you know, and kind of along those lines. So on this one particular mission, that actually happens twice. There's two times you have to decide whether or not this squad mate's going to die. In the first situation, you have to decide if you will kill or not Rex, or try and talk him out of what he's trying to do. We'll get more into that later because Erdnot Rex is one of the best characters ever and has a major impact on the story going forward. And then later in that same mission, because you're trying to blow up this research facility that's in control of Saren, you obviously leave a nuclear warhead to detonate and destroy everything. And of course, because things happen in games, two of your squad mates that are not with you get into a bind. And you have to pick which one to save because there's only enough time to save one of them before the nuke goes off. So you're stuck with this decision. Do I let Ashley die or do I let Caden die? And even bring more into the difficulty of the decision because both Caden and Ashley are a romantic option for the opposite gender. So like Femship can look into Caden as a romantic relationship. Maleship can look into Ashley. So you have to think, if you're trying to pursue one of those relationships, okay, do I save this person because I'm trying to fall in love with them or do I betray them? And on top of that, depending on what they're doing on that mission, Ashley or Caden, they're also teamed up with a squad of Solarian soldiers. So you think, I could let this person, you know, if Caden's guarding the nuke, I could let Caden die and save Ashley. And because I'm saving Ashley, I'm saving the Solarian soldiers with her. In the end, it doesn't impact the ending of the first game that much. However, it's kind of nice that you do have to think about that, that the story is saying, hey, you're trying to save the galaxy at any cost, so here's something you have to think about in trying to do it. And it's a pretty amazing thing, because I think there are games that try to do that, and there are some games that succeed at it, but it's not very often that you're stuck with this choice of you're the one telling someone to die. It doesn't happen too often in these games. So let's fast forward to the ending, at least, of Mass Effect 1. So obviously these people are squad mates, so if you decide to kill or not Rex, or you know you let Ashley die and you save Caden, or you know whatever your decisions are at that moment... Because they are squad mates, they are now no longer available for your squad later. So you do feel the impact in the story a little bit, and just in the game in general, that I can no longer pick this person to go out with me onto the field. You know, I can no longer fight alongside them. There's no longer any banter between them. And the story also develops that everyone's trying to kind of deal with that thought of like, hey, this person's dead. They all understand why they died, and they're not really blaming Shepard entirely one or two of them might, but you can kind of talk them through it, and they like they say, "Hey, I just got emotional because you know one of my companions just died." And you feel for it. It kind of goes back to the whole thing of like character interaction. The characters bringing us into the world. Well, the characters are reacting to the story as you are too. That I'm just trying to get through this and trying to save everyone, so I don't have to let anyone else die. You know, you have to make sacrifices. The story is really pushing that, and you're really feeling that. Now we build up into the end of the game, and the end of the game. 
it's it's a pretty cinematic event, and I think they handled it very well. So when you get to the end, there's only one Reaper, along with a fleet of enslaved Geth troopers, that's attacking pretty much the Citadel. Like it, It's essentially the capital of the galaxy. And your job that the entire story is to, you know, stop this, bring Saren in for justice and find proof of the Geth attacks, you know, yada, yada, yada. So here we are at the ending. Now, obviously, because the game focuses on the squad battles with Shepard, you have no interaction with the, the space battle, like the fleets that are fighting above the Citadel. So they handle that with this, these really beautiful cinematics. So Admiral Hackett flies in with the Alliance fleet to lend support to the Citadel forces and fight back against the Geth. And the main Reaper, the guy they're trying to get rid of, is locked up inside the Citadel and protected. And then that's when Shepard comes in. So the cinematic is playing. You see this amazing cutscene with, like, Hackett's giving this great speech. The music starts going, and they, they bring all the emotions into it with everything. You just see this massive space battle go on. And then it switches. Like, okay, Shepard just found the back door into the Citadel. Now he has to go and open up the arms so that Hackett can move in and destroy the Reaper. So it's managing this very well. Since the game was focused just on Shepard, and the story is focused just on Shepard, and proving Saren's guilt and bringing him to justice, the ending to the story then focuses on Shepard doing exactly that. Going through the Citadel, completing the game, getting to Saren, stopping the bad guy. The extra cinematic of the space battle going on around you is just an added touch that looks amazing, and you don't have as much agency in that battle because you didn't have any impact on Hackett coming in. Hackett made that call to support you, but never at a time in the game did you help build the fleet or anything like that. Hackett's like, we're just ready when you are, Shepard. So it works in hand with it, which is great. And it, it feels great because you're walking up the side of the Citadel, just your squad versus all the guests trying to stop you to get to the center. And you've been to the Citadel multiple times throughout the game. So now walking up the side of it in zero G, just it, it's really awesome stuff. And you feel the grandness of what's going on because you're on the side of the Citadel, but it's still manageable in the sense that this has been my task. It's been building up to this I've been the only one focused on this. So at the very end, you reach Saren, you fight Saren. There's, of course, some dialogue before about him saying, yes, you guys should listen to the Reapers and, you know, join me, yada, yada, yada. And you're like, no, I shouldn't do that. So you fight him, boom, he dies. And then him dying, you're able to open up the arms of the Citadel. Hackett comes in, blows up the Reaper, game end. And it ends just like that. After the Reaper is destroyed, there's obviously some discussion that goes on you know some like ending stuff like about the council where they lived or died etc etc however the game has tied up all loose ends you know who lived you know you have all your squad mates you know that the citadel was saved you know if the council lived or died because of the order that was given and that's it however you and your mentor anderson who you used to work under still believe the reaper threat but no one else does so shepherd's all like okay i'm gonna go out there and you know try and prove it to everyone that the reapers are still around because i know they exist you know the story kind of fed that to us throughout the game but no one else believes us so if mass effect end up being a flop and the series didn't kick off and it was just a one-off game called mass effect it would have still been a good game because the story concluded itself in a manner that there's a little bit of a cliffhanger so it can be picked up but we have you know, all the ends tied and everything like that. So we're not left wanting more if the game flopped. It would have been like, you know, it sucks that we don't get anything for a fan of Mass Effect, we don't get a Mass Effect 2, but you know what? At least we have something to work with. It's still satisfying. Glossing over Mass Effect 2 real quick, because 
Mass Effect 2 didn't have as much agency because once Mass Effect 2 got released, we knew there'd be a Mass Effect 3. Bio and EA, BioWare and EA knew they had something. So they weren't too concerned about it. So, of course, the opening, we already know about it. You know, we already played Mass Effect 1, so we have that set up. And then the ending, the ending is just building into Mass Effect 3. So the Mass Effect 2 ending, though there's not really a kind of good, bad, clean cut ending, it's a more amount of just which one of your squad mates survived the suicide mission. Of course, the more than that survive, the better the ending, obviously, and those who died, well, they're not in Mass Effect 3, which sucks. But if you have any sense of being a human being and you're at least half a decent person, most of your squad mates will survive, if not all of them. It's still a stressful mission, no doubt, because you're making tough calls about who's going to conduct what part of this mission, and if they fuck up, either them or someone else is going to die, so there's still some stress there. But it's not as much concerning, because it's just... I'm focused on me and my squad going through the suicide mission. And because I'm a decent human being, I talk to them and I fix up the ship. We should be fine. And if one or two people die, well, fuck, it sucks. But it was just me. It was just me and my squad. There was nothing else going on. So I'm okay with what happens. And then the ending just shows, yep, the Reapers are coming in. So get ready. Okay, cool. Mass Effect 3 shows up. And of course, it's been building up to this. We know the Reapers are coming. We know the war is about to start. So Mass Effect 3 in the start starts immediately that the reapers attack earth you run off with anderson and a couple of people on some evac ships and it begins so we're ready for this the story sets it up that yes the reapers are here and now everyone of course believes shepherd that the reapers are a threat because the reapers are attacking everyone's home world and things are getting really serious so the whole idea from the beginning of the series that the reapers are a threat and coming to kill everyone is right in our face and now it's not just shepherd with agency it's the entire galaxy the story was set in the beginning as you're hearing like radio calls and stuff like that from throughout the galaxy that everyone's under attack, everyone's dying, shit just hit the fan, it's real bad. So of course the player is agency because they're Shepard, they're the leader, but other characters in the story do too. Everyone is showing their emotions and everyone's showing how important this is and how the story's impacting them. And of course, because the game's all about choices, old friends are coming back. You know, people from the first and second game are coming back. NPCs you interacted with in optional missions might show up once again and you have to deal with that, which is cool for a little bit. So, like, let's take an idea of, like, Zaid. He's an optional DLC uh, person you can get in Mass Effect 2. And if you do buy the DLC and you have Zaid join you and he survives a suicide mission, he shows up in the third game as a mercenary in a mission that went south. And you show up to clean it up, but you don't know he's going to be there. So when you get there to clean up the mess and Zaid's saying there, it's like, oh, hey, Zaid, good to see you. He's like, oh, hey, Shepard. You have a friendly little chat. He's like, yeah, you know what? Fuck this. I'm done with this. You want some help? And he joins, you know, he doesn't join your squad, but he goes back to rally the Blue Sun mercenaries to help out in what's about to happen, which is really cool. And since he's a minor character, you know, that's all the screen time he gets, which kind of sucks as Zaid's an awesome character. But in terms of the story, like you knew from doing his side mission in Mass Effect 2 that he used to be part of the Blue Suns. So him going back and kind of taking control makes sense story-wise for him. So we're okay with that. The major characters on the other hand, we're looking at like Garrus, Tally, Erdnot Rex, the others that came from the first and second game that survived the suicide mission are helping make major decisions. So going back to Rex, I mentioned him in the first game. The reason why it's so important to keep him alive is that Come the second game and the third game, if he survives the events of Mass Effect 1, which just requires you not shooting him, he becomes the leader of the Krogan. And now the Krogan, for the past God knows how long, have been at war with each other, and they're really bloodthirsty. Rex shows up, says, knock the shit off, essentially just takes control of their entire planet and says, we're not going to keep fighting each other, we need to survive. And he's the one able to talk sense into them. 
So now if you have Rex alive, he's willing to work obviously with Shepard, who's a good friend of his, and the others. He just wants some rights for the Krogan, and he says, yes, I'm going to keep him in line because I don't want this shit to continue. I want my people to survive. Rex is kind of like Shepard in that sense that he's fighting for the Krogan. You know, Shepard's fighting for the humans and their rights. Rex is doing the same thing. And then let's take Garrus, for example. If you let Garrus survive the second game and he comes back, you know, he's working with the Turians. The Turians and the Krogan never got along. But because Garrus and Rex worked together in the first game, they actually become really close friends to the point like there's always friendly banter between the two of them, or like them kind of knocking punches at each other, friendly-like, because of the history of their people. However, if the two of them are alive, they're willing to suddenly work together. And then now you have the Turians and the Krogan meeting up and working together. The story is saying, hey, everyone needs to come together. Well, because you saved these two people, the story is now going down that route because they survived. And if they don't, now you're trying to pick up the scraps. And without Rex, the Krogan have little to no chance in having a happy ending. We'll get to that later. But it goes back to this whole idea of everything's on the line. You're making these decisions with these people, and you're seeing those impacts happen throughout the game. The story's constantly coming back to say, hey, remember last act when you made this decision? Well, now someone's mad at you or someone's happy with you or, you know, whatever happens, right? Let's, you know, start to kind of go forward. We kind of saw the story and our decisions, some of them becoming impactful, some of them not. A lot of the minor decisions, like if you let this uh, this one alien in the first game, if you let her go or you killed her, doesn't make a damn bit of difference. There's She's either enslaved or the Reapers make an artificial version of her in the third game and you still have to deal with the problem. So, like, those choices don't matter, but the ma- the major choices, we still see it. Now, the first and second games, obviously, the story finds a fitting conclusion, even if it is minor, like in the second game. However, the third game, which is the ending of everything, it doesn't hold up to expectations as well. And I'm going to compare it the first and the third game endings, because I feel the first game, again, if it was just a standalone game, it had a solid ending, and it was very similar to the third game's ending. In terms of the first game, like I said, it's just the, the Alliance fleet coming in against one Reaper in the Geth, and it's just Shepard trying to stop Saren and open up the arms. If you fast forward to the third game, now it's Admiral Hackett in charge of the entire galactic fleet, as in like every race you were able to rally that would work with you, fighting an entire huge fleet of Reapers. So now we just have this grand scale. We took the first game and just made the scale bigger. Okay, this is actually kind of cool. And the opening cutscene, when Hackett is addressing all the fleets, he's giving this very rousing, awesome speech, and the music's kind of going along with it, and it gets very emotional. Like, you kind of choke up a little bit, like, this is what I've been building up for. And then the fight starts, and the cutscene isn't super long, but it's, think of like a massive space battle, like out of Star Wars is what we're getting at the end of Mass Effect 3, but it cuts back on the music, and the emotion kind of dies out a little bit, because we're watching all this happen, but we don't have agency in it, because we don't actually see the fleets interacting with each other. There's no control like i'm not a t- like i'm not taking control of hackett or even as shepherd and like pointing the ships where to go and having control over the battle even though that's what the story in the series has been building up for is that u.s shepherd must unite the galaxy to fight the reapers but then i have nothing to do with it i just kind of sit back and just let this cutscene play and it's the same cutscene over and over again it doesn't matter you know the intro changes like which fleets are checking in but beyond that it's always the same cutscene after they check in, we don't see our impact there, which it, it's heartbreaking in a sense. So let's kind of go to Shepard. 
when you're in control of Shepard, obviously, again, it's just you and your squad, you and two other people out on the ground taking care of business. So the start of the ground battle when you first take over Shepard is pretty amazing. You touch down in London and you ha- you sense the big picture there. Like you see the battle going on. You almost get shot down trying to land. And then now you're fighting just you and two other people through this wave of enemies trying to get to a resistance space to set up just a set of like operations and kind of rally the forces. As you're going through it, you see gunfire, AA cannons going off, and you know that, okay, this is a big deal, but right now I'm just focused on getting to resistance base. The story's telling you, move forward, get here. And you feel that, and you feel the pressure of that. Once you hit the base, the resistance base, is where now the story kind of falters and weakens a little bit. Because when you reach it, you have a chance to talk to any of your squad mates who survived the first and second game. And some emotions start to kind of hit you a little bit, depending on how you felt about them and all that kind of stuff. Now, for the minor characters, it goes down to kind of like a few seconds of dialogue with them. And then they're being like, hey, we're ready. Thanks for helping out. The end. And then the major characters, mostly the love interests like Garrus, looking at Tali, Liara, Caden or Ashley, whoever's alive. You get a little more dialogue out of them, and it kind of feels good because they've been with you for so long or they've showed up enough times that they've always had that impact on the story, and the story's always kind of calling back to them. And then it's it. You go into the final fight, and that's that. If you didn't talk to the side characters, well, that's the end of it. You're never going to hear from them ever again, which is a little upsetting. Because as you go into that final fight, it's, again, just you and your squad versus the forces coming at you, and you know there's a war going on. Like, before you head out, if Rex is still alive, he's addressing the Krogan forces, and he's saying, like, hey, Shepard, we got your back. We're ready to kick some ass. By the way, my wife's pregnant. She's about to have a kid. It's pretty cool. And then Garrus is trying to rally the Turian forces before he heads off with you, and all this stuff is happening. You hit boots on the ground. You go outside the base to continue. You never hear from them again. You don't see the Krogan forces. You don't see the Asari forces. You don't see that or this. You're just like, okay, go here, do this. Now head over here and take care of that. And it's just Shepard. They could have taken a note from Mass Effect 2, because with Mass Effect 2, like I said, the ending is just focused on Shepard and his squad. So you had to decide which people did what during the suicide mission. So you had to have like a biotic person with you at one point to give you a shield to protect you from the Seeker Swarms. You had to have a squad leader, someone like Garrus or Zaid, lead a diversion to get you through there. And then depending on who you picked, whether they were ready for it, and then a few other factors kind of add in there, determines who live and who dies. Why not do that in the third game? Like, Shepard's on the ground. He's kind of, you know, next to Anderson. He's in charge of everything. So why not kind of, like, send these forces here? This person knew that. Give us a little more agency because we've been told the entire time it's been thrown at us constantly that everything's building up to this moment and you need everyone to work together, but you don't see it. The story doesn't give us an opportunity to witness that. And then the final, final ending, like, we get through London, just a shepherd, not seeing anything else going on, and we hit the final cutscene. Now, when the game was first released, there was a lot, I wouldn't say controversy, but there was a lot of press focus on it. It was too short, it wasn't conclusive, it wasn't fitting, and it really wasn't. I mean, forums were popping up everywhere saying that everyone deserved a betting ending, like, everyone's going crazy. And luckily, the company reacted in a positive way and did release kind of a patch slash free DLC of sorts that everyone downloaded, and it gave an extended ending. Still didn't do a lot, though. Pretty much all the extended ending did was ended up showing, like, a slideshow with some narration over it. 
And that's really all it was. The fact that Mass Effect was such a large thing, was such a large universe, is what kind of killed the ending to the third game. Because now you're trying to determine, like, how do we have a conclusion to all this? Like, the slideshow shows pictures of a few characters, and it varies here and there which characters you see with that dialogue that's always the same. Like, depending on which choice you pick for the ending, obviously, determines the dialogue. But, like, if you choose choice one, you'll always have that dialogue. Like, there's no change in the dialogue. The photos might be a little different depending on who lived and who died, but the dialogue's always the same. Same thing with choice two, choice three, choice four. Always constant. And then the development as it goes on is also kind of where it weakens. So we're going through and the story is telling us about and the lore is telling us about, you know, the mass relays that people use to travel to and fro throughout the galaxy. The relays get destroyed at the end of Mass Effect 3. We see that in the cutscene and the following events that happen, like the slideshow shows that, you know, people start to rebuild or whatever, you know, everyone's happy and friendly again, yada, yada, yada. However, how do everyone get home? The story builds up that the fight for Earth is the thing that determines the galaxy, you know, if we live or die. So everyone, all the main characters, all the fleets, yada, yada, they're all at Earth. The mass relays blow up. And then suddenly, like, let's take Erdnot Rex, for example, I keep going back to him, but he's a face you see a lot throughout the game. In the end cutscene, it shows him returning to his home world. Now, I can't do an exact measurement, but when you look at the main galaxy map in Mass Effect, the distance from Sol, like our galaxy, to the Krogan DMZ is pretty damn far. Now, it takes three days, as we know it right now, it takes us three days to go from here, Earth, to the moon. I don't know how the science works in Mass Effect 3, or this Mass Effect series in general, but I'm pretty sure that the ships got faster, but not like super duper extra faster. I'm pretty sure it would take a couple of years for Rex to get from Earth back home. And I don't know if they planned on, like, having that return trip ready because no one expected the relays to blow up. So we start to bring into question that suspension of disbelief kind of breaks that the story shows that, yep, everyone's back and everyone's happy. Okay, how? How'd they get back? How long did it take them to get back? And it shows some of them, like, rebuilding or they're happy. And it's like, there's going to be scars left over from everything that just happened. You know, like... Take examples like Zaid or Kasumi Goto, you get a small little snapshot of them, and that's it. Like when you have a chance to interact with people, and the story pushes this idea of you working with these people to save everything, and then they kind of get shortchanged at the end, hurts. And that's also then why, like the one ending you pick, where all synthetic life is destroyed, really hurts you, at least emotionally, because one of the main characters, Edie, who is an AI that has been given, you know, a robotic body. Her and Joker, your uh, your pilot, develop a strong relationship. And if you decide to destroy the Reapers and destroy all synthetic life, she obviously drops dead because she's synthetic. And now you have now Joker's kind of heartbroken. But we never see that. You know, we know Edie died, but nowhere does it show like Joker's heartbreak over it happening. Though we know it happened, so he gets shortchanged. The story shortchanges him. So if you go with the one ending where everyone kind of merges and synthetic and organic life are now merged, that is like one of the nicer endings that's a little more conclusive because it shows the Reapers trying to, since now that, you know, they are partially organic and they're not trying to kill everyone because now they understand organic life, they're actually kind of trying to help to rebuild everything. So that kind of makes sense. Okay, the Reapers quickly rebuild the relays. People get home. They help set up this. They help set up that. Now Joker and Edie can be together because they're one and the same, and you get to see that, and it's kind of, it, it's nice. We still have this question now. Okay, if everyone is synthesized, and the narration done by Edie mentions about, you know, humanity is now going to this point of surpassing morality. 
because they are partially synthetic. So wait, did humans just unlock the secret of like immortality? Do the robots need to eat now because they're part organic? Like now we're starting to ask these other additional questions. I'm not saying that an ending has to have all the answers ready, but if it starts to open up even more questions than we originally had and questions that don't even have to really focus with the main game, it kind of loosens. Now I'm looking really in depth with it and that could just be me. However, I, I feel like the story shouldn't lead me to those questions. Even if I'm looking in depth at it, it could just be nitpicking. I'm a fan of the series. So I think about these kind of things. It's still a great series, and I still think the first and second game have really strong endings, and the third, up until that very end point where the ending isn't able to handle all those questions, is the weakest part of the series, which is a damn shame, because there's still things like, what happened to these characters? You know, how'd this person get out? This or that, like at the very end on the Normandy, it shows everyone but Shepard on the Normandy together, but how'd they get there? The only people we know that are on the Normandy are obviously Joker, the pilot, and your two squad mates who at the very end of the mission are evac'd out of there on the Normandy. So how'd everyone else get there? Last time I checked, Garrus was somewhere else in London with the Torian forces fighting back. How'd he get on the Normandy? I thought he would have stayed to the very end. What? And this is what I'm saying. It, it tries to be a little emotional to show that everyone's kind of mourning the loss of Shepard. And then we think, wait, what happened? They're trying to do everything at once. So when we look at stories, and we look especially at stories that allow us to have decisions, we need to think, is the decision worth it to be in the game? And can we have a happy conclusion for it at the very end? Because Mass Effect 3 did a lot of things that Mass Effect 1 did in its ending, including, you know, you have to deal with the elusive man from Mass Effect 2 before you reach, like, the final conclusion of Mass Effect 3. And he's just like Saren. He's saying the same, very similar things. Like, Saren said we should work with the Reapers, and Lucifer Man says we can control them, but they both have the same ending. Like, yeah, if, if you have the Paragon Path and you show them, like, I guess, like, the truth or whatever, the good stuff, they think, like, okay, yeah, I made a mistake. I can't do this. They're, they've taken control of me. They put a pistol to the head and blow their brains out. It's showing that Mass Effect 3 took a lot of things from Mass Effect 1, but then it drops the ball because... The story of 3 is focused on the whole galaxy and everybody's agency in it, but Mass Effect 1 is focused just on Shepard and Shepard's agency and trying to do something. And now you're trying to conclude the whole galaxy in just four different cutscenes. And the fourth one doesn't even count because it's essentially just Shepard says piss off, he doesn't do anything with the Citadel, and then the Reapers kill everybody. Okay, that doesn't matter. Like That's a conclusive ending. Everyone dies. We know that was going to happen. We know the Reapers can do that. That's the only conclusive ending, and it's a shit-ass ending because we don't want everyone to die. <laughs> Think about it. When you're playing games, what is the story providing us? And if we're provided a choice in it, is it a choice that we're willing to make? And is it a choice that's impactful that is concluded? That's the one thing we want out of every story is an ending that even if it's not happy, it makes sense and it at least gives us some peace of mind of what's happened. Thank you all for joining me. We will touch base again next week. Not sure what we'll do, so I'm going to leave it kind of as a surprise. So take care and see you all then. Join us every Sunday at 8 p.m. for a new episode of Gaming Couch. Be sure to follow us on Facebook at Gaming Couch for news and updates. 
And if you have any questions, comments, or ideas for future episodes, shoot us an email at gamingcouchpodcast at gmail.com.